The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Thanksgiving is just around the corner and Beacon Hill is in a budget frenzy. Here's here's a phrase we've used a lot in 2020. In a normal year, in, in a normal year, work on the budget would have been tied up months ago. The House would have debated the spending bill in April. The Senate would have followed the next month. This year, legislative leaders have waited for the fiscal picture to come into focus and gain a little certainty before setting their appropriations down on parchment. So after months of wait and see, lawmakers moved into hyperdrive and it's been an unusual fortnight. The Senate just passed its version of the $46 billion bill on Wednesday after back-to-back budget weeks. And if Beacon Hill returns to its normally scheduled programming, next month in December, we'll already be talking about fiscal year 2022 and looking ahead to consensus revenue estimates. So throughout this year, state budget writers have been holding economic roundtables and consulting with economists and experts. Now that we've seen some of their results hit the chamber floors, we wanted to check in with two of those experts. This week on The Takeout, we're joined by Mass Budget and Policy Center President Marie Frances Rivera and Mass Taxpayers Foundation President Eileen McEnany. And uh, to moderate our discussion, we're joined by State House News Service reporter Katie Lannon. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Hey, Sam, and, and thanks, Eileen and Marie Francis, for joining us. It's, um, you know, not, not the first time I've, uh, I guess, over this year seen you both over Zoom uh, talking about the budget. You've been uh, kind of fixtures at the what feels like many um, <laughs> revenue roundtables and, and economic kind of scrums, really, <laughs> people trying to get a handle on what's been going on. You, you've both kind of given your takes, your organization's outlook to state budget, budget writers. And to kind of start us off, um, what, what was your message going into this, this cycle? How would you, you sum up what you, what you advised um, budget writers, what you told them to, to look out for, and what your, your take was as we start about building this? Um, I guess, Marie Francis, we'll start with you. Sure, thank you. And thank you, Katie. And hi, Eileen. This is great. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think we're all, as I was listening to the intro, I was like, wow, it's been a year. I mean, it's been a year for a lot of things, but, um, it's been a year for the budget. It's just been unpredictable. Um, and yeah, like you said, just trying to figure out, you know, the revenue that's coming in and also, you know, and more importantly, the size and the scope of you know, the challenges in our communities because of this pandemic and because of, you know, ongoing systemic racism that's in the Commonwealth and sort of, you know, the state budget as a tool is the most important piece of legislation that we pass in the state house every year, arguably. And um, how can we, you know, have a state budget that rises up to the level of need that we're seeing today? So that's essentially been my message throughout many of the economic roundtables that both Eileen and I have been part of many of the, you know, sub, sub, subgroups um, in discussing both the revenue side and, and some of the spending side. Uh, so 
So yeah, it's 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 a difficult challenge. You know, I don't envy um, budget writers, legislative leadership, um, but you know, we you know we at Mass Budget and others have been offering solutions, um, you know, common sense solutions, both on the revenue side and the spending side that we think that um, can address some of the eviction crisis that we're seeing, hunger crisis that we're seeing, et cetera. And and Eileen, what's what's been your kind of what have you been tell what have you and uh, Mass Taxpayers Foundation been telling lawmakers this this year this strange strange so I, year? I think um, if our message had to be boiled down, it would be to proceed with caution, and and I think we said that for a few reasons. Certainly, um, the unprecedented nature of the economic downturn. It, it, it's a pandemic-induced economic downturn, the likes of which none of us have seen in our lifetime. So, um, you know, there's really no playbook, right, for, for how, how to handle it. So I think, um, you know, to, to just trying to make sure we understand all the pieces, how they interact, and to be thoughtful in our approach. The other thing is, is we know, um, you know, most recessions, are multi-year, right? Or, or their impact certainly on state finances a multi-year. So we wanted to recognize upfront, right? That this may not just be a fiscal year 2021 issue. Um, and then I just, you know, I, I think kind of it's, it's probably a sub bullet to the first one, but just the volatility of the economy, we're seeing things that aren't typical. So um, you know, today I'm reading the headline is the sale of housing is like at, you know, the prices are at, you know, a 15 year high, right? And yet we have high unemployment and so forth. And so there's just like a lot of things that, that don't fit any script. And so our, our thought was, you know, to proceed with caution. You mentioned a, a long-term recovery beyond just this fiscal year, beyond just this budget. Um, as Sam said, as we start off, we're just probably a few weeks away from starting to uh, build the foundations of, of next year's budget. I'm sure you'll um, we'll both we'll be hearing from you both at, at that you know forthcoming future consensus revenue <laughs> hearing process. What do you at this point? What do you think the outlook is like for fiscal 22? Sure. Um, I agree with Eileen that number one, it's unpredictable. Um, you know, as we're seeing coronavirus cases spiking, um, we do not know, um, you know, what we'll need to do, um, you know, to halt our economy to keep us all safe. So um, we're not sure. We're also not sure about federal funding that's going to come through. Uh, so it's it's uncertain, though. You know, it's likely that we're going to need, you know, that we're going to see shortfalls again in FY 2022. We just don't know how large. So I would say, I think the biggest story of fiscal year 2021, the budget cycle is, you know, despite the fact that we're having this conversation in November, not in June, so almost five minutes, five months later than typically. Um, and that there were two economic summits that Marie Francis and I participated in, in addition to the, the regular consensus revenue. And, and I think the notion was to kind of get a handle on finances and on the economy, but that the budget that will be enacted is about $46 billion. 
And that's about 1.5 billion more than what the governor proposed back in January. His budget was 44.6. So this is not a budget of austerity. Um, you know, and, and, and that's after the consensus revenue figure assumed a revenue shortfall of $3.6 billion. So, um, you know, that just sets up fiscal year 2022 to be enormously challenging. Yeah, and we, we heard, you know, throughout this past week, the, the debate in the Senate over their budget, um, some allusions to, to maybe a forthcoming revenue debate. Um, in January, in the start of the new session, um, to kind of, you know, one of the things uh, Senate Revenue Chair Adam Hines said is we've kind of, you know, we've used a lot of the tools that are on our the, on the table for us to get through this year. We might need some more next year. We want to keep those keep those options open. You you've both kind of made a couple different cases to lawmakers this year about what they should be looking at for for revenues in. Um, in 2021, in this budget, um, you know, mass budget, I know backed some proposals that would raise revenues, um, arguing that there would be, you know, there is more spending that needs to be supported. And, and Mass Taxpayers Foundation, I know, was part of a group that, that flagged for lawmakers the challenges that are facing businesses, arguing for more of a, a go-slow approach on raising Taxes. I'd love it if um, each of you could kind of outline for me your and for our listeners just kind of your your approach on what what needs to be done um, if the state should be looking at new revenues and and why or why not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll I'll jump in, Mary Francis. So yeah, so Eileen's point around um, this budget essentially, you know, being level funding essentially, right? Um, and and the assumption that that is enough you know we can see in the numbers we can see in the need in communities that it's not enough and you know one thing that we try to do over this pandemic is to talk to our partners talk to our partners that are focused on k-12 schools talk to our partners that have been doing great work in the affordable housing sector talk to our partners that have been doing excellent work around criminal justice reform and to, to, to have a conversation in the Commonwealth to really start painting the picture about, it's not just that we need more money because we need more money, right? It is actually because there are schools that do not have proper ventilation systems so that kids can go back either hybrid or in person and be able to, you know, both teachers and students be safe in those buildings. You know, it is because there are mounting um, eviction cases in our courts. So, you know, it's just to put the point out there that, you know, like a lot of people are like, well, mass budget just wants to raise revenue, raise revenue. Um, There are reasons for that. um, And and there are lots of folks. and, and, And one of the reasons why, you know, and there are lots of big bills, right? There's that the Housing Stability Guarantee Act. There's the SOA that isn't gonna be fully funded. Um, and we're seeing what's happening in the state house is that those debate, they're just locked up. And what we're seeing in the budget debate right now is that, you know, I think DeLeo said something like we shouldn't use the budget to be passing legislation or something, you know, but things are locked up. And why are things locked up? Because we don't have the revenue to support it. We also, you know, need to make sure that we're able to have the debates too, but yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point. You know, the budget 
we do often see things get attached to the budget as kind of a way to get it through to, to make changes that are, are time sensitive because the budget is of course something that needs to pass every year and we are still waiting on on a few conference committees doing major legislation um, including there's still an economic development bill in conference i know that point came up in um in the senate debate this week um eileen i'd love to talk to you about kind of you know what do you think the the right move is for the state when it comes to raising revenue or not right now so i i no, i i would say um i don't think that the mass taxpayers foundation rules out potential new revenue being necessary but mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we think about how that revenue is raised and what for, right? I mean, so again, this budget is, um, you know, bigger than initially proposed, right? Despite the revenue shortfall. And, and I think um, states have to balance their budget, right? And, and, and you know, um, I, I, so there may be more revenue that's necessary, but if that is the case, I think it should be temporary and that it should be um, broad-based with minimal economic impact. Because for me, I think um, the, the best way, I mean, we want to create a climate where people can get back to work, right? Where there is job creation and where people have um, you know, financial security. And, and so I think it's a balancing act because, you know, what's really important to understand is, you know, a lot of businesses are hurting, right? And, and, and they don't know if and when they'll return to normal or what the new normal will look like. But come January, they're going to be looking at um, a minimum wage increase, a significant increase to unemployment insurance over $300 per employee. They're looking at healthcare premium increases on average of about 8%, right? And for smaller businesses, it could, you know, it could be more. It just depends, you know, on, on some things. Um, we're looking at the Paid Family and Medical Leave Act going into effect. And, you know, businesses have already been paying premiums for that, but there will be additional cost. So if, you know, I'll use hospitals for an example, but if a lot of nurses end up taking leave, then they're gonna have to pay temporary nurses or pay overtime to the nurses that remain. Like, and all those are costs in addition to the program. So there are a lot of headwinds, I I think, facing employers, and we have to be cognizant of that. And and, and I think, you know, um, you want to foster an economic climate that encourages job creation and that accelerates a recovery to the extent that we can. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think we have to be really careful about how we approach the revenue. But what I, would, what I haven't heard, and I think what we need to do, um, you know, the state as an entity, like every other business and household in Massachusetts, they may have to do things a little differently, right? I mean, you know, they may have to adapt. So maybe programs are modified or, programs no longer make sense in this environment and and we um, repeal those programs or eliminate them so that there's money available for other things. I mean, I think we can't approach the budget as it's a status quo from last year and then add, you know, the inflation rate and there we go. I, I think we need a fresh approach and fresh eyes to it, just given 
all of the moving parts. That's really interesting. It's definitely, you know, it's it's certainly not a status quo year. <laughs> um, and, and we definitely don't know what, what's coming down the pike either, as you've, um, as you've said. Um, so we've, at this point, you know, we don't have a, a final budget from the legislature yet. We're expecting that to probably move to conference committee next week. Um, and we'll need some, some pretty quick work there if they're going to meet the, the kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a deadline because everything's so squishy this year, but the, the target of a new budget by the end of the month, a full year or full remainder uh, fiscal year budget. But the House and the Senate proposals are, are pretty similar. There's not a lot of huge differences there. Um, do either of you see anything that could, could emerge as maybe a, a sticking point in a conference committee that could prolong those, those talks? To me, I would say, I think what's interesting is how aligned really all of the budgets have been. And I think that's a function of the fact that there's not a lot of discretionary income and just the whole nature of this process, right? It's, it's accelerated because it was delayed. The fact that the, the debates are remote, they're just not conducive <laughs> to a lot of back and forth and so forth. So, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things that go into it, but really they're probably more aligned than they are different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I would say the the only thing that's, you know, outside of mass budgets, bailiwick is the row act. And, you know, that's an example of, you know, legislation that isn't necessarily budget related, but um, because of, you know, processes that maybe, you know, haven't been working as well, um, you know, partially due to this virtual environment and partially due to things needing to move along in a more democratic participatory open way. <laughs> um, but that that's the that's the main thing I see. And there are some smaller things around TNCs and fees and things like that. But um, yeah. sure, yeah, that's the um, the abortion access um, amendment uh, that you mentioned, Marie Francis. That'll be interesting to see what happens there. That's that's something the the governor hasn't been as um, hasn't been as strongly in favor of as legislative leaders um, where we don't necessarily know how he's gonna choose to handle that. It was passed in both branches with veto-proof majorities, but it's certainly something to, to watch out for if that comes back. The governor has been critical of the, the addition there on a, on a process front that there was talk about keeping policy out of this budget. Abortion access, as, you, as we, I think we can all tell is not a budget related matter. So we'll definitely have to see what happens there. Um, that point kind of aside, I, I don't know. Um, overall, I'm curious kind of what, what your takes are on these House and Senate budgets. What if you would, you know, if you were to give them a grade, is this, does it get the job done? Does it come up short? What, what do you guys think? <laughs> I'm happy to let Eileen go first. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is gonna be a pass fail exercise. <laughs> I'm not giving a grade, and you know I think they pass right. Um, <laughs> the, the budget um, will be enacted, although maybe points are are taken off, or you know um, it's being delayed. Although as I've said publicly before, I mean I think it is justifiable, right? As, as they've tried to um, determine whether or not there'll be federal assistance, but I think it's important to point out. You know, we may not know if there's going to be federal assistance 
um, when the whole fiscal year 22 budget begins, right? I mean, I think the governor is going to have to put forth a budget in January. And it's, in my opinion, it's pretty unlikely that there'll be any kind of federal assistance forthcoming in the lame duck. And then, you know, like any new uh, legislative body, there's it takes time to organize. There's stuff that has to be done. There's, you know, and we know that there's not agreement. It depends on, um, you know, whether the Senate is Republican or not, but there's like all kinds of potential issues. So I don't think the federal financial assistance, um, particularly for states and municipalities, is necessarily a slam dunk, right? So, I mean, I think that we have to, um, we have to be preparing for, you know, a, a pretty challenging budget cycle coming up. But, you know, so pass. I, I want to hear what Marie Frances has to say on her grade before we move on. Oh, my grade. Oh, my God. <laughs> National grade. C minus. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, you know, there are many one-time revenue sources that are a patchwork that is allowing this budget to float along. Um, but let us not forget um, that, you know, the Student Opportunity Act um, is not being fully implemented for its first year. Um, and there, there are superintendents saying that basically I won't be able to run my schools um, if I do not get this um, funding um, in gateway cities. And um, there were major cuts to UMass. Um, we're seeing MBTA cuts looming. Um, so I wouldn't call it a win. Um, and and I do and, and I do agree with Eileen um, on the point you mentioned earlier about needing to look at some of these programs because essentially our economy is shifting, it's changing. It's, you know, this pandemic has really, you know, massive amounts of people are working from home. So we really do need to think and center equity in the way that these programs are run, but still we're seeing massive shortfalls. And in order for us to, you know, you know, and, and Eileen and I, we were part of this conversation like pre-pandemic about making major investments to transportation because we knew that our, our transportation infrastructure was crumbling, you know? And I just think now is the perfect time to start rethinking that and to start thinking about equity mobility, just things that we need to invest in so that when we, I don't like to say get on the other side of this pandemic, but as we continue to evolve and grow and figure out how we're all gonna move through this, um, that there's a commonwealth there that really meets everybody's needs. So let's say C plus. <laughs> you know, but, but I'd love to pick up on one of the points that Marie Francis just made about transportation, because to me, I think that's something that, that kind of, you know, um, encapsulates a, a lot of what policymakers are wrestling with, right? I mean, ridership is down on the MBTA you know, by a significant number, I don't want to get the percentage wrong, but but at least in half, right? And, and for commuter rails, they're down about 90%. So, I mean, you know, on the one hand, people are making arguments, they need to retain services, but I think it's it's rational or reasonable to say, okay, we got to do things differently. If, if you don't have all those people, you know, like, we don't need, we need to do it differently than we did before. Because, I mean, as an Orange Line rider, that I have actually taken the subway, you know, as recently as yesterday, um, you don't have the crowded cars, right? I mean, it is a different experience than it was in, in, in March. And, and, and I think 
there has to be an acknowledgement of that. And, and, and we have to plan for that. And it's not to say we don't wanna make sure that core services, um, you know, we, we wanna make sure core services are available for folks who rely on public transportation for sure. But that doesn't mean it has to remain what it looked like in February. In fact, it can't because revenues aren't there to support it. So, I mean, I think it's gonna require all of us to just be um, willing to adapt and to think creatively and innovatively. And, 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 and that's gonna be required really through all areas of state government. Yeah, I mean, maybe the, you know, the, the, the budget cycle itself is almost a, an encapsulation of that. Like here we are in November talking about who, what a final budget is going to look like. And that's certainly not something we could have envisioned in February. Um, uh, I'll, I'll let you two go momentarily, but um, before we do, I do want to ask since, you know, you're some of the people who are as closely involved in the, in the budget as pretty much anyone out there um, outside of the, the Ways and Means Committees and ANF, um, anything in there that you think should be getting more attention than it is? Is there something people aren't talking about in the budget that they should be? Yeah, I, well, I, I feel like people are talking about this, but maybe um, in, in sort of a surface level, but the, the revenue conversation, um, you know, it's, it's been raised sort of, um, but it, it's been really focused on some of these one-time like sales tax acceleration or, you know, the global doors or whatever. Um, and, and I just want to highlight um, and, and make the case for some of the progressive revenue policies that, that we're really been pushing for and some of our partners have as well. Um, because I know there's, you know, this is like a place where Eileen and I definitely, um, I think disagree in a lot of ways. And, but I do, I do agree with you, Eileen, when you mentioned earlier about um, you saying that broad-based tax increase, I think that you said this broad-based tax increases aren't the way to go. Did you say the opposite of that? I said the opposite of that. Okay, I said you said the could, opposite it, of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, can you tell me more about that, actually? So, um, yeah, I mean, my point was only, okay, you don't want to um, raise taxes on, you know, a subset of folks to the point where it has an influence on their behavior, right? I mean, you want taxes to be as, um, I'll say, economically neutral as possible. So to do that, you make them low, you make them broad-based, and, 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 and so that, um, you know, that they have minimal impact on economic behavior or economic choices. That was the point that I was making. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, um, you know, whatever is enacted should be you know, temporary because it's clear it's being enacted for this, um, what I hope is a short-term budget issue, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think, you know, the point I've been trying to make throughout this conversation is it, it probably warrants a little more long-term conversation, right? About, you know, are, are there ways to rethink programs? Are there ways to do more with less and, and, and so forth? Before we go right to more revenue, I, I think we need to just re-examine and see if we're getting everything we can out of the money we have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, that's helpful. Uh, so, I mean, bottom line, we believe that there needs to be more money for schools, for housing, et cetera. Um, and, you know, one thing that my colleague, Brandon, um, who runs the Mass Budget of New Jersey, likes to say, and I think this might be copywritten at this point, math is real. 
So, you know, we need to balance the budget. So if we need to put 200 million more dollars into schools um, to support kids and we need to figure out how we raise those $2 million. And, you know, we all clearly know this Massachusetts is an extremely unequal state in terms of income, in terms of wealth. So is the greater Boston area. Um, and so many of the revenue policies that we are proposing are highly targeted um, to, you know, many to highly profitable corporations or wealthy individuals. Um, you know, we've seen, and, and Eileen, I hear your point about, you know, the increased um, costs that businesses are going to be incurring or are incurring either through unemployment insurance, you know, raises in wages that I think are, is an equitable way for us to go um, in our economy and other things, um, but there also have been um, plenty of, uh, you know, tax breaks and tax loopholes that a lot of businesses have benefited from both on the federal and on the state level, um, you know, in the last several years, um, if not before that. So we, we do feel that, you know, our approach to making sure that we can balance the budget and meet the needs of the Commonwealth um, make a lot of sense economically, morally, et cetera. And I guess, you know, so I would just say in closing um, a few things. I think, um, you know, businesses have contributed to the social safety net in a number of ways. I mean, I, I think um, unemployment insurance, like the, the, those payments, there's going to be a structural deficit in that trust fund of $5 billion, and, and those costs will be paid for by employers. Um, I, you know, I, I think... Um, the paid family and medical leave will come on board, you know, will, will be a, you know, a benefit paid for by employers as well. I mean, I agree that we want to make sure we're taking care of the most vulnerable among us, but I wouldn't forget there has been a huge infusion of federal dollars into the state already. I mean, by our estimate, it's about $30 billion when you look at um, the enhanced unemployment insurance and the $1,200 individual payments that were, that were sent out um, that's about 14 billion, and then another 14 billion in loans, primarily to small businesses through the PPP program. So, I mean, I think when you're looking at um, some of the services that government can and should provide, I think we need to look at it in its totality because I think there have been a number um, of programs that we've stand, we've stood up, and and, and I think that the um, the private sector has been very generous. You know, during this pandemic, there are lots of examples uh, of where um, people are trying to contribute and help their neighbor and be part of the the social fabric. So I think you have to measure that maybe a, a little more broadly. Well, thanks to, to both of you for, for sharing your thoughts with us today. And we'll certainly, um, I'm sure we'll be, we'll be talking to you again <laughs> over the next few weeks, over okay. this fiscal year and beyond. Probably well, sooner you, than Katie. we think. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> yes, thank you, Katie. And I hope right. things do stay on some sort of timeline. Thanks, folks. And as we wrap up this week's podcast, wanted to share that I did a little historical digging earlier today on the subject of late budgets, and we'll leave you all with some takeout tidbits as you uh, head into Thanksgiving week. Since the legislature created its self-imposed end dates for formal sessions in 1995, this is the third time they've suspended that rule to consider a month's late budget. 
The first time was in 1999 for the fiscal 2000 budget. That was stuck in private conference talks as separate conference processes played out for months on bills dealing with tax cuts, MBTA finances, prescription drug relief. And finally, that budget was sent to Governor Salucci's desk two minutes before midnight on November 10th in 1999. And then the second time was in 2001, dealing with the fiscal 2002 budget. That was affected first by the dot-com bubble burst and then by the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Um, so one could draw some parallels to this year with economic upheaval and, and global disaster. Uh, that FYO2 spending bill filed two minutes before midnight on November 20th, 2001, sent to acting Governor Swift's desk just before 10 o'clock at night on the day before Thanksgiving. And as the conference report came to the Senate floor less than a day before Thanksgiving dinner, Senate Minority Leader Brian Lees said that the White House has its turkey, presumably referring to the annual turkey pardon. The White House has its turkey, and this is ours. <laughs> the takeout will be back in your podcast feed after Thanksgiving, wishing you a very happy holiday next week. And our thanks again to our guests today, Eileen McEnany of the Mass Taxpayers Foundation, Marie Frances Rivera of the Mass Budget and Policy Center, and our moderator, Katie Lennon of the Statehouse News Service. Thanks very much, folks. Happy Thanksgiving. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.